Hey Revelers, it's now Sunday the 20th. I intend to get this episode out tomorrow and it just seems appropriate after what's happened this weekend, particularly how Pam and I have been affected by Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing to take a moment and say something about it. Try not to cry. So when I started this podcast in my head back in January, it didn't you know, come out until May, there were lots of goals and hopes and dreams and all that good stuff. It kind of changed after COVID happened and made me even more committed to building community and reconnecting with people and amplifying their stories and figuring out how to show that we all have interesting stories, we all are interesting people, we all have things to contribute, and want to also thank those in our lives who've made things happen for us. And it just seems like we can't even have done any of this without what RBG has given to all of the people in this country, but particularly the women. And I'm crying and want to read a quote that really speaks for itself for how RBG led her life. Not perfect, not a saint, but definitely worth cherishing. It's so much Pam Martin too. I think that you're really going to enjoy this episode with Pam. It made me well up with tears at certain points and also helped me to remember that there are good people out there. There are good Christians out there. There are really, really important people doing great things that you never hear about on a daily basis. So this quote is from RBG. I think it means a lot to this podcast, to the theme, to how we keep talking about community and how important it is, specifically to Pam, uh, her stories and her message and her focus in her life. So I don't know when she said this, but RBG said, if you want to be a true professional, you will do something outside yourself, something to repair tears in your community, something to make life a little better for people less fortunate than you. That's what I think a meaningful life is, living not for oneself, but for one's community. So rest in peace, RBG. I hope that everyone who's hearing this gets out there and works hard to fight the obstructionist GOP who would not let Obama put in a justice in his last year, but now wants to replace Ginsburg when there's less than 45 days between now and the election. So the hypocrisy is ludicrous. The hypocrisy is all around us and we have to fight it. And I think that uh, both RBG and my guest Pam Martin are great non-hypocritical people who whose actions help do that and whose actions and heart show what real 
leadership and a faithful person would do. Welcome to Rebel Rebel. This is Lauren Drabble, and today I have my dear friend Pamela Martin. Hello. I almost said Pamela Jean. <laughs> Hi. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Well, good. It's nice to see you. You as well. You, I believe, are the most seasoned podcast person that I've had on the show. Well, that's funny. <laughs> um, I have been featured on two and I've participated in two or three others. So yeah, I'm getting a little used to it. Yeah. I think everybody else has been the first and only time. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's intimidating. I, I felt the first time I did it, I felt a little bit like being in speech class and knowing that I had a time limit and knowing that I was rambling. <laughs> you know, you're like, I can't stop talking. <laughs> so why do you think people keep inviting you to do podcasts? Um, well, that's interesting. Uh, the first one was was fantastic because it was um, a shift in my life that it was something that really felt like a God plan, a God thing that, you know, happened. And um, it was me going on staff with a nonprofit that I'm working for. And so it really tied into the whole meaning of what it is about, which is creating community and, you know, being, being the church. And those are things that were, you know, near and dear to my heart. And because it was near and dear to my heart, it forced me to take a big leap of faith. So that was kind of what it was about was this leap of faith, like leaving a very secure position in, um, in my work to go out on my own in business, but also so that it allowed me to create my own schedule so that I could do what I love, which is being, you know, a part of that group. So that makes sense. Yeah. But what about all the other ones? Well, so that's Uncommon Good is the organization and we do a podcast and I don't, participate every single time um, when it's been something that, you know, is exciting or interested, you know, I, I join them, but it's often at a time where I, you know, I just gauge what my um, work schedule is like in comparison to my knowledge of, you know, the topic. A lot of it is, you know, um, I'm, I'm much more of a layman in the church world than my other three partners are. So, I, I'm always interested, but I don't know that I always have something to offer. So I, you know, I step in when I can. Well, that's cool. So we, we kind of jumped ahead from what I normally do, yeah. which I normally start off with how we know each other. And I love to hear it from the guest point of view. Lauren Walters, who that's who you still are in my phone. Um, oh my gosh. One of my dearest friends, honestly, and, and not just because we're friends, but because like I love our history and I love just the little light that you are always shining and just always make me happy. So we met in high school, I think probably right away when you moved there. I have been struggling trying to remember exactly. It just seems like at, there are certain people that you say, oh, they've just always been around. They've always been yeah. in my life. I can pick exactly where you sat on the in the quad yeah but I don't remember actually meeting yeah you. I don't know if we had a class together I don't think so. probably through I would imagine probably through like student senate because I was involved in that I wasn't in the ASB side per se but more student senate and then yeah just all of our mutual friends 
so so we we met there and had a lot of fun. We went on student venture retreats together. I, I just always remember you as being so much fun in high school. I was much more of a floater, probably way more insecure than people realize now, just be, primarily, I think, because I moved so much as a kid that it took me a long time to really know that I was sure on my, you know, in my footing at that school. And then even then we moved and then I didn't have the benefit of a neighborhood where everybody else was. I lived more than 30 minutes away. And so, so I was pretty isolated other than at school. So I was, I was a lot more, you know, sort of testing the waters of every little group than I was like solidly in a group, you know, which I think is what benefits me most now because my friendships are all over the board, which is kind of cool. So I agree about the floater and I was definitely in floating all around. And in fact, I don't know if you ever listened to the first ever podcast, which was Meryl, and we talk about how we were both feeling like floaters, and so that's why it's called Two Butterflies. That's so funny because I wouldn't have thought either one of you was a floater. <laughs> See how we view each other? Isn't that interesting? It is. So moving comes up a lot mm -hmm. on this podcast. So many people have had so many moves that made them who they are. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it in the in the good sense instead of the traumatic sense. Yeah. But I I always thought you just moved once. So fill me in. Um goodness. Yeah. It still comes up and probably I it used to be the traumatic sense, but I think it still raises its head in not positive ways in my life. I well I come from a divorce parent situation but when I was very young. So my mom remarried when I was two and a half. And that kind of just set off, you know, obviously there was probably moves before I even remember, but my stepdad was a professional golfer and they kind of, you know, decided, I, people always say, oh, you moved a lot, you know, being in San Diego, they assume, oh, Navy. And I was like, no, just fickle. <laughs> so they decided, you know, from Indiana to California and back again, I think, I don't know, two, two, maybe three times. And then even within California, we moved m multiple times. So at some point, you know, it was it was just about every two years. Um, and so it was just constantly being uprooted and never really feeling solidly stable, which I'm sure also goes back to, you know, coming from a divorce situation. So my dad and my stepmom stayed put and I had the benefit of um, every summer, literally when the day school got out to, you know, the day before school got started to be there in a solid, you know, situation and have that home. Um, and then holidays too. So I went back and forth between Indiana there. Um, but yeah, when I finally got to San Diego to Rancho Penasquitas, that only lasted, I don't know, 10 months. And then they moved to Ramona. And that's when we finally said, no, my sisters and I were like, no, we're not leaving school. We were in marching band. Marching band was, it was where the cool kids were in Mount Carmel because <laughs> we were number one in the state at the time. And um and so we had that going for us and we were able to get like the inner districts, you know, kind of transfer situation because of that. So that was helpful. But I drove down from way East County, Ramona every day to school. Okay. So please explain that. What years were you driving from Ramona down to Penasquitos? My family moved to Penasquitos May of our freshman year. So I really, I moved to Rancho Penasquitos in January of eighth grade. I was traumatized and devastated. I went from being a straight A student to hiding in the bathroom stalls at Black Mountain. Um, Cause that was just, I think I, I had a false sense of security 
I moved down from Ventura and that was my like coming of age time frame and life was perfect and picturesque and I you know had my first you know my first love so the move devastated me and then so that was January to yeah the following May so a year and a half wow. a little over a year yeah Wow. Before they moved. And then, I mean, it was great that we got to stay at Mount Carmel. Fortunately, you know, I didn't have to, to move from there. But, but yeah, no, no neighborhood, no going. You know, I, I went over sometimes to somebody's house after school. But, you know, it wasn't, wasn't like I had that community. Yeah, I never knew that. Or if I did, I forgot and I felt terrible. But I really don't think I did. So interesting. And, of course, community comes up a lot on this podcast, too. Yeah. So, and you've already mentioned it twice because you mentioned about the church community and then now this. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what community is, what it means to you, why it's important, all that good stuff. You know, what's so cool about that question is I think I'm still learning how important it is. I think when you're, when you come from a somewhat unstable, you know, situation, um, be it divorce or blended family or the moves, probably all of the above, you rely on your immediate surroundings, right? Your your family, and which is great. And I'm I'm very blessed with a with a great family, and I had you know I had four great parents and um and siblings. But I was a middle middle kid, and so we were a true Brady bunch. We were, you know, two his, two hers, and then one joiner. So I was right in the middle of that. And when when my baby brother came along, I you know probably felt a little lost. So although I'm extremely close to my family, community has become my need and my, like, that's where I shine. And that's where, you know, I really feel like a, a true self versus falling into certain character traits that my family may see in me or that, you know, that you, you feel like you're supposed to be because that's the role that you've always had versus in community whether it be our high school group or Uncommon Good or really my work space, I'm, I'm, I'm a different person, I think. I, I mean, a very strong and, and a confident person, I guess. So speaking of roles, mm -hmm. you may be in a role that we have put you in, in our high school group, <laughs> where you are just not just the organizer and the leader and everything, but you're sort of the core, the hub, everyone revolves around you. Everyone says, you know, refers to you, defers to you, et cetera. And so how do you feel about that? And how do you think that happened? That warms my heart. Like you cannot imagine because it's so sweet and so kind. And I feel like that little scared girl in high school is like, oh, you picked me, <laughs> which is so cute. Um, I know exactly how it happened. It was just really by happen chance. And then I think because um, of my experience in hospitality, it stayed. And I, you know, and that's, and I don't just mean in hospitality in terms of planning events. I mean, I worked 17 years at the Ranch Barado Inn, and I learned great customer skills and great personal, you know, skills. So, um, and we need a lot of that in our group. But um, it happened because actually, I credit you for this. So you started my first Facebook account. I don't know if you know that. That's why I'm still Pamela Martin. Um, everybody, else, why are you Pamela Martin? I was like, well, because Lauren Walters started it and convinced me to go on. And that was my name. And I just never changed it. Um, 
and but before that we had our Yahoo group, which I think was was you and Kathy. And um, I thought that our 10 year reunion could have been uh, better just in terms of um, everybody being able to feel comfortable and talk to each other. Um, and so when it came around to people asking about a 15 year, and that wasn't necessarily a normal thing. I think most most classes would were doing every 10 years at that time. But we we're really close. And so th there was just discussion in the Yahoo group about are we going to do a 15 year? Are we going to do a 15? And I think, unfortunately, I think the people that planned the 10 year all had great intentions and it and it was a beautiful event. It just was very compartmentalized and it was very hard to talk and there's a lot of us. And so they were nobody was jumping at it because I think they had gotten some, you know, um, negative not not necessarily negative criticism to them but they they weren't pleased with um some of people's responses so anyway i just said i'll do it i'm here because i figured it would be you know a pretty small scale like let's just get a group of people together and um and so i offered to do it and i just you know had some contacts and you know went and talked to some people and then um, i did this very strategic and smart thing as instead of just saying hey, you know, come to this class reunion and nobody knowing who I was. I, without him knowing entirely, I said, Sean and I are doing this. Sean and I are meeting with the food and beverage director. Sean had no part in it. He did not know. He just finally was like, why are you using my name? And I was like, just roll with it with me because they don't know me and they know you. And so it worked. And so we had like over a hundred people show up on a pretty short notice. I mean, I think it was like a month of planning. So. I was there. Yeah, yeah. I flew in for it. it was there. <laughs> and what we did, it may have been a month, more than a month of planning, but because this was prior to Facebook and classmates still existed, we did this really cool thing as, and we continue to do this. We have people finding other people and that really makes people feel like they're part of helping and part of the, the whole organizing of the event. And so we would go on classmates with a yearbook in hand and search and if we couldn't find one of our classmates, we would look for a sibling and then we, we messaged those siblings. And so we had people come that literally would, like we had so many responses after the fact saying, I can't believe you took the time to try to find me. I've never gone to a school event before. And so grateful. And it was, I, I wish they'd all stuck around or I wish they'd joined Facebook because that's harder, it's harder to find people now. But ironically, if they don't want to be found, they're, they're harder to find. But yeah, so it, it just stuck. And then when we came to a 20 year, it was like, okay, well, um, you know, anybody that had been involved in planning the first 10 year all got on board and we had a really great committee and we had almost as much fun planning it as we did, you know, at the actual event. And it was helpful. And then it was a lot of my contacts because we were adjacent to the Ranch Bernardo Inn. And so I was the hub just by, by you know, sheer having the contact with everybody and working the deals. I know that you hear it a lot, but we are all grateful for you and all your hard work. Well, thank you. I love it. It, it truly is a labor of love. My, my family and now every um, assistant that I've had in work and probably my bosses are not appreciative of it at all. <laughs> but that's okay. What do you mean? It just consumes me. It really oh. consumes me. Yeah. Yeah. After the 20 year, I remember my boss saying, okay, are you going to get back to work now? <laughs> and I was like... Yeah, yeah. We'll get well, there. I have two words for those people. Tough nuggies. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get down to the theme of the podcast, which the first thing really is 
to define terms. You know, a lot of people are okay with some terms and they're not okay with others. Chance, fate, coincidence, serendipity, God, the universe, whatever. Um, what words do you like? Do you feel resonate with you and that you look back on your life and say, I can see these things happening at play in my life? Um, I think all of them, to be honest. And I, I think in my, you know, faith journey, I'm, I'm sort of leaning towards that's maybe all, if not the same thing, it's all interconnected, right? In that, um, I, I think there's been times in my life, if my faith has struggled, there's been things that have popped up to sort of show me that like, Hey, you know, it's going to be okay. Or you're, you know, you're going the right way. And that I would say is serendipitous. So it's, it's all, you know, I, I pay attention to it all. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, one thing I love about my own personal faith and is the ability to truly respect other people's um, and to learn from them. And so that I'm kind of in this phase of like, what if it's all sort of right? You know, even like in what's going on in our world today, like it's so polarized. What if there's a little yes there and a little yes there and a little yes there and a little yes there? Like, what if we took that approach instead of blame, 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 that everybody is digging their heels in and instead of doing that, listening um, and in learning something from somebody's perspective, why they have that perspective, what is about their history that has that perspective. And I think that's the same thing in, 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 you know, faith and, um, and why people are, you know, really strong in, you know, one particular direction or um, why they're questioning, you know, that it has so much to do with their own personal journey. So, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm open to listening to all that. You said two things that people say, and that comes up a lot on the podcast. You said open and you said paying attention to, mm-hmm. and that's, that's a lot of it. You have to be paying attention to that. There are things outside of your control and that there are things that are bigger than you and things that play that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's cool if you're paying attention to it so you can see it happening as opposed right. to after it's all over, then this right. thing is done. And then you look back and you're like, wow, I missed all that. Right. And what I think it's so important to, to understand that paying attention or listening and respecting somebody else's views, beliefs, opinions does not threaten your own. So I've never once steered from my faith that, you know, that I'm a Christian and that I believe in God and, and, you know, how I want that to show up in my life. I've never once steered from that. Has it morphed occasionally or is it now? Probably because I'm experiencing life and that's, you know, it's going to show, I hope what it does is just show through me that like my faith, that I'm a representation of that, not a pillar with my feet dug in for, you know, a stake that I believe so firmly in that I, I can't, you know, see the light through the trees sort of thing. <laughs> like it's that there might, you know, it blows my mind when people are so sure of something that they really aren't sure of, you know, no, none of us really are. So 
I want to be, and I'm, um, I have a very strong conviction in my beliefs, but I'm certainly going to listen to other people and pay attention to that. Let's talk about those stories that if you look back at like pivotal, maybe serendipitous mm -hmm. of how things happened, how they came together. Uh, I mean, I love the story. I tell the story as often as I can about your baby shower. Aww. And no one else, except for the people who were there, you know, can uh, say, yeah, that was weird that that happened. And I know that scientifically speaking, it does happen, but it doesn't happen all the time. So I still think it's weird. And so I think that that was sort of serendipitous to cement us together forever. And to fill people in, what I'm talking about is when Pam um, was pregnant with her first child, I had her baby shower at my house, my parents' house in Poway. And I don't remember exactly when it started, but definitely by, I don't know, halfway, three quarters of sort of the way through, I was having contractions. <laughs> I think I forgot about that. Wow. So yeah. I was definitely having sympathetic labor. Uh -huh. I was having contractions for you. Now remind us that was late in your pregnancy, right? I went into labor that night. Yeah. Yeah. But but it wasn't you weren't premature. It wasn't early. I was. It was. Okay. I was. I was yeah, three and a half weeks. Well. So yeah, ish. But yeah. Wow. So I find that that's just so weird. Like I've never met anyone else. They say they've heard of it, but I've never met anyone else who's known anyone to have that. That's so strange. And I do remember that now. That's yeah. Funny. I was doubled yeah. over in contraction pain. <laughs> I should have taken that premonition. I wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> well, I remember that you, you felt fine. You went home and everything was okay. And then later, uh, this is obviously before text. I don't remember how I found yeah. out that you went into labor that night. Maybe, maybe your family called me the next day or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Funny. And it was one of those, like I'd worked, you know, I was still just go, 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 go. I think I'd worked a double that day. Then went to your house for the shower, was unpacking the car, you know, and yeah. Knowing you, that Funny. sounds right. <laughs> All right. So what other sort of serendipitous life stories you got? Well, I would say um, the reason I named my company Serendipity Design, it was twofold. One, my favorite book when I was a little kid was called Serendipity, and it was a sea dragon. And it's so funny because I talked about this with Joe um, and uh, jo Joanna, and we were we had like a little get together, and we you know it was sort of like in that pursue your dream kind of thing, and. And she was talking about, she was asking me, like, where did that come from? And I told her, it was this book. I've got to go look it up. I don't remember. But I remember, you know how you hold on to things from your childhood? And especially because I moved so much, I, I went through this phase, kind of, you know, a little pathetic now to think about it. But I was probably about eight, um, where I kept everything in a little box, everything that I felt was, you know, important to me. And I carried that box around with me. So if I went to the family room, was watching TV, I'd have the little box next to me and I'd take it. It was, and it was probably, you know, silly little things, but I'm, I know the book was in there. I remember there was an orange in there too. <laughs> so it was my little, my little box of stuff. And I think that it was a, you know, it was a security blanket of sorts. So later when I went back, after I was talking with Joe about the book, then I went back and looked it up and it's, it's, you know, the sea dragon that was, 
you know, kind of on a mission to spread kindness. And she was like, this is you. Um, and so it was really cute. It, but so I, I had used the name serendipity for that reason, because I just remember loving that word once I understood it. That was first grade with that book. So once I understood that, you know, the true meaning behind it, um, I love the whole happy accident kind of idea. And then as a kid, I was super artistic. Um, it wasn't something that, you know, I, that got, you know, sort of, um, that's what I'm looking for. Like my parents didn't sort of pursue that with me. They didn't, you know, kind of get that, push that in me. I mean, I knew that I had it and I was always really good at drawing, but it didn't get really brought out of me probably just because they were, you know, busy, big family and, you know, all the stuff that we had going on. So I, I didn't, I would sort of feel this artistic sense in me and then not have an outlet for it. And um, I went, I went straight to San Diego State after high school. What a lot of people don't know is that my senior year of high school was, was pretty rough. Um, we had, we had lost everything our family had. Um, my house had been foreclosed upon. Um, we we broke back in and were essentially living like squatters for about six to nine months. And so it was a rough time. And that continued shortly into you know my first year of college. And my dad didn't know that. My my real dad back in um, in Indiana didn't know that. And he had you know driven out from Indiana with me. We had this great road trip together and he registered me for all my classes. And the whole time in my head, while he's registering me, I'm thinking I'm working full time at the Ranch Bernard Wayne because I'm helping pay bills. Um, and I couldn't tell him that. And so I took on 17 credits and was also working, you know, tremendous amount. At, like there was one point I was working seven days a week at RBN and I would work one day off the clock and then they would add it to the following week because it was illegal to work seven days. So I, you know, I was doing my best to keep my head above water and I, I finally just lost it and kind of had a little, you know, a meltdown and went, you know, to the doctor and they were like, you're under so much stress, you're going to break and encouraged me to get a medical withdrawal from classes. So I did. And I didn't go back then. Um, and so that was just always hanging over my head. And, you know, after spending, I don't know, it was probably at my 15th, 14th, 15th year in hospitality and working you know like a crazy human and having three babies and having a husband in hospitality as well finally realized i can't there's no way for us both to do this and um because your your schedule is is chaotic and kids need somebody home in the evening and we were trying to juggle it as best we could and so i finally decided um to stay home i took a super long maternity leave with cole and they just kept calling saying are you, are you coming back <laughs> and so finally i just said you know not right now. And I um, thought about what I wanted to do. So I started researching interior design and found out I knew I had to clean up my act from San Diego State, that that was just sitting there. And those withdrawals turn into fails if you don't, if, you know, if you don't take care of them. So I had to petition, um, you know, the school to, to turn, you know, clear that from my record. And um, during that whole process, found out that they had an excellent interior design program and that it was a fine arts degree, and that all of the undergrad was all of the things that I had been missing, which was drawing and painting and sculpture and, you know, all of this stuff that I had to explore while needing art therapy because I had, you know, all these little, I, I started home daycare at the same time too, so I had little kids all day long, um, and then I would go, you know, to class in the evening and spend three hours drawing, and it was, 
amazing. So the idea that like that was sort of waiting there for me that whole time, um, I think is very serendipitous and that, you know, I would not just get, not go out and pursue a different school. Like, you know, there's the, the school of arts or uh, there's an actual interior design school, you know, that's a very expensive degree here, but wanting to go back and make sure that my record was clean at San Diego state and, and finish a bachelor's degree and that that's where it led me. So I love that. So I think anyone who's listening to this, who knows you is listening and thinking, yep, that's Pam always doing too much. <laughs> go, go, go does too much, you know, workaholic can juggle a million things at once. And we all say, how the hell does she do it? But I think anyone who doesn't know you who's listening is probably thinking, uh, why is she like this? <laughs> and besides why is she like this? Kind of how do you, when you're so busy and you're so sort of overcommitted, how do you find time to even see what's going on in yourself and in the world and the universe and stuff so that you can appreciate these things that are happening in your life? That is a very good question and something I am working on, but I would say that it's all about setting the right intentions. So I have the opportunity every day to, you know, who, who am I going to try to, you know, spend time with or where am I going to dedicate my time? And there's, there's days, especially right now, my business is super busy where I will work, you know, 12 hours a day, but the next day I'm going to say, no, you know, Brian needs my attention or I would rather spend time, you know, going on a walk with my daughter or, you know, play with my dogs in the backyard. Like I've, I've got to set that intention of putting, you know, your priorities, what's important to you. And work is important to me. I was raised with a very strong work ethic and I, I appreciate that. And having come from a situation where now that I look back on it, you know, we were, our family was not far from homelessness, you know, and, and the, I don't ever, you know, I, I, not that I would ever be in that situation now. I'm not worried about it at this point, but I think that that knowing that you have the ability to, you know, do whatever it takes. Um, and that, that comes from my dad. I mean, just super strong work ethic and I will always honor him with that. So, so yeah, I, I mean, sometimes I do too much, but like, even when I'm planning the reunions, I have to be aware of the amount of time I'm spending and therefore start earlier and delegate as much as I can so that I'm not, you know, losing my mind or that my family is not losing their mind. <laughs> and, and assistants and bosses yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So your dad that you say has the strong work ethic, this is the dad in Indiana. Mm -hmm. How much did you get to see him once you moved away from Indiana? So our last official move to California was when I was 10. And, you know, at that time, dads didn't have a, a lot of rights. And he did something that was, was really brave. It, it seemed dramatic and scary at the time. But I look back and I think, I, you know, my parents were young. He, he sued my mom for custody. And really what it was about was getting his rights established because she just picked up they had just picked up and moved us again without his knowledge, without his approval, you know, across the country. And he, we were, my sister and I were everything to him. So that set, you know, the, the rules about the amount of time that we would spend. So 
we had our wonderful, you know, summers, literally, you know, then summers were longer. <laughs> so we had, you know, uh, first week of June till just before Labor Day, um, all summer. And then that was amazing because it was, you know, he was a charter fisherman on Lake Michigan. So we were, you know, on the boat and on the weekends all day. And then, you know, in the evenings when he would get off work, we'd be at the beach swimming and, you know, just a great, great time. And then every other Christmas, every other Easter. So we were back there for one holidays. And then usually on the alternating holidays, he and Jackie, my stepmom would come out. So, so we were seeing each other, you know, that good, almost three full months of the summer and then three other times during the year. So, which was, which was good. And then phone conversations and so not, not enough. But it provided stability, something you could count on and you got to see him work all day long. Oh yeah. So he didn't take a lot of time off, even though it was your summer, it sounds like. Right. You know, they, he would always take like a week off and we would go, even we would go on a vacation together. So like we went um, whitewater rafting, you know, in Tennessee and, you know, did other, we always went out to my aunt's farm in Iowa and things like that. So yeah, he would take time off during that summer too. But in Indiana in the summer, the sun doesn't set till nine. So, you know, he's getting off work at, you know, four or five in the afternoon. We, 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 my gosh, I remember going out perch fishing one time and the perch were biting it's just he and I, we ran out of bait. We started cutting up the fish to make bait. We came home with over 200 fish. We were dropping in lines and watching them just swim right up and, you know, and then he called all his buddies and we, uh, we set up stations in the garage and scaled and cleaned the fish and had a fish fry and people were over till one o'clock in the morning. So we definitely made really good use of our time. I mean, you can see where I, where I get this. From. <laughs> yeah. So friendships and, you know, community was very important to him as well. Well, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. So what other stories do you have that are meaningful coincidences or happy accidents or whatever? So I have another really cool story that is, I've told a lot of people recently as part of my faith journey, and I think it's so important and it includes you. Yeah. And I don't know if you would remember this, but, and it's mostly about Tristan. So you came out for a visit once and we met down at the living room cafe in Point Loma. I don't know if you were going, I don't know why we were there, but I was supposed to be meeting you. I was there waiting. I was reading a book. I had recently been through, Brian and I went through a, you know, a struggle in our marriage. I didn't know Tristan very well at all post high school. Um, and she came in and we all got to talking and she saw my book and she said, oh, that's a great book. The book was called Committed. Um, and it was, it's, it was Elizabeth Gilbert and it was post E Pray Love. And I loved Elizabeth Gilbert's writing. So I'd read anything she wrote, but it happened to be about marriage. And in my head at the time, because I was naive, not, not because I was cruel, but how would you know if, you know, like, why would you have read that book, Tristan? But, you know, it was all about like the history of marriage and all that kind of stuff. And I think I had just always had my blinders on in terms of, gay people's relationship with the church or lack thereof, right? And how it affects them or how they have been hurt, you know, potentially. And because of the marriage aspect, um, the, you know, the gay community, it was like, to me, I always felt like, well, of course they deserve equal rights, but maybe it could just be called something else. I always had this like separate but equal kind of brain going on. And I was, I was already evolving in that, you know, process because Again, you listen to people's perspectives and you think like, oh my gosh, I would never want anybody to be hurt by that. So it starts shifting, you know, my opinion or my feelings, not really opinions, but what I've been taught. 
which is a really important aspect, knowing that I came from a very small town Bible Belt and was raised my whole church experiences by stepdad, Norwegian Lutheran religion. So learning as I go. So that was the first sort of little like weird little inkling. And then a few years later, Tristan and I had become close friends and something was going on at my church. And Ryan, who was a pastor then, he had he had been youth pastor and was very involved with my kids' lives and I just absolutely adored him. He had moved on and he was doing something called like the 30-somethings group or whatever. And he had shared, I think on Facebook at the time, a evening that they were having to have discussions. And it was titled, Christians, Where's the Love You Speak? Our Message to the LGBTQ Community. And I was so proud. And so I sent it to Tris and I was like, check this out. And then she wrote back to me saying, are you going? And Tristan, you know, is a, is a proclaimed atheist. And again, I listened to her and learned from her. And so I like not trying to, you know, necessarily change her opinion, but understand her opinion and have her understand, and I shouldn't use the word opinion, her beliefs and have her understand mine. So I was out of town. I said, no, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to go, but, you know, feel free. If you want to go, I will make sure that you get an introduction. And so she didn't, but, you know, I think kind of kept that in her back pocket. And so then moving on, she, you know, finds the love of her life. She marries Kirsten. I, you know, have the joy of going to their wedding. And she gives me a call that following month, because it was Christmas time, and says, Kirsten wants to go to church on Christmas Eve. And I remember that your church was gay friendly. Or would we be welcome? And I almost cried. And I was like, you will always be welcome and I will make sure that my the row that my family sits in will have space for you like we will save seats for you and then I quickly immediately called Ryan <laughs> it's like oh gosh please tell me that we're gay. like what's this gonna look like and he was so excited and he was like it doesn't matter what it looks like it matters that we are going to be proud to have her there and that we are going to support this and so so they show up and you know all dressed up to the nines as, as they do and there's a bunch of staunch you know Presbyterians in the crowd and, and I was so proud watching them walk in and my you know my stepmom Jackie scoots down and makes room and we all hug and you know we're excited to have them there with us and I kid you not a pastor who is the sweetest man ever not knowing anything Brian swears up and down he did not tell Bruce this pastor Bruce always starts the service with a joke and his joke was in a Scottish brogue and Tristan leans down and looks at me down the aisle. And I was like, I, I don't know. I know nothing. And then his entire sermon is why are Christians always defining themselves about what they're against instead of what they're for? And here's what we're for. And I, it's probably one of my proudest moments in life. Like, thank you, God, for allowing my friends to be here and to feel not only comfortable, but welcomed and have a sermon like that. And it was, I have goosebumps just thinking about it. And then now Ryan is, is one of the leaders of Uncommon Good and I get to spend, you know, a good part of my work life and days with him. And, and we have members of the gay community within our, you know, our Uncommon Good community. And it makes, it, it just humbles me and makes me, and that's serendipitous. And that is a God thing. I mean, it took years to weave that thread. And I think it's such a beautiful story. I'm so happy. Right? And you were there. <laughs> so
So let's back up a little bit because I want to pick out some little points that I think maybe not make the story, but help make the story happen. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you are like, I'll meet with anybody. Mm -hmm. You didn't really know Tristan very well when you decided to join her to see me at that cafe in Point Loma. You thought, sure, whatever, I'll go. Yeah, Tristan's a, you know, she's like, I mean, I call everybody a friend from high school, but, you know, she, I guess more of an acquaintance. Like, we, we weren't right. close at the time. We weren't close in high school. And I love that you were just open to it and you're like, whatever, I don't care. And then you just jumped right in. Mm-hmm. Where Tris is, she's so much more guarded. She has mm-hmm. to be, you know? Mm-hmm, of course. But, but when she loves, she loves so wholeheartedly. Yeah. And oh, I'm about to cry. So this just makes me so happy. I did not realize that you guys. You were the catalyst. Yeah, that makes me so happy. I didn't. You were. I didn't know that you guys, because you have a life outside of the RBI or Mount Carmel or, you know, whatever. Like I'm from out of town now at this point. I don't know who you hang out with and who you see and who you talk to on Facebook. And so I didn't know that I was kind of bringing you two together. So next point in that story is that I, of course, had read, I think by that point, I must have read Eat, Pray, Love at that point. But I just finished now a book by Elizabeth Gilbert called City of Girls. Have you read it? Uh, no, it's I've, my book stack is so high and I, I can't get to reading right now and it's killing me, but it's on my list. Well, I really, really enjoyed it. It's okay. it's very lighthearted and different than her other books, but the sense of community that she has created in this and her sort of pithy life lessons that she sort of tucks in, just mm-hmm. really good. You'll like it. Okay. Good. So now back to the funniest part about that memory for me, about that little hanging out outside on the patio deck, whatever, and having like, you know, mm-hmm. coffee and muffins. I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but it was a general, the way the world should be. And I remember Tris saying to me, you sound like a fucking hippie. And I was like, I am. <laughs> True. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, and I can't remember anything else right now from that, <laughs> that discussion. Okay. So I did not know that now she considers herself an atheist. So that'd be fasting because she's going to be on the podcast in September. So I'll make sure she listens Funny. to this first. And yeah. then, and I don't know, I, I can't speak for her now. I just remember at the time. Oh, like, right. Okay. Because we, we had, we had, you know, we had uh, conversations regarding that. Gotcha. Okay. Then. Mm-hmm. Well, I still will ask. And obviously, like you said, faith evolves. Yeah. But, um, and I just want to say thank you for going to their wedding since I don't remember why I could not, but I couldn't or Get in and it makes me sad. Yeah, it was absolutely lovely. Yeah. And then for the audience who doesn't know, Kirsten is Scottish. So that's why we were laughing at that part about the brogue all out of nowhere. Yeah, great. Okay, so now to to give Ryan and your church credit, what's the name of the church? So we are um, not a church. We are a, we're 501c3. We are, um, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. I want to hear that, but though I, to clarify, the church that was so welcoming on Christmas Eve. Oh, that was RB Presbyterian. Okay. Thank mm-hmm. you. Which we no longer go to, but I had been, you know, essentially had raised my kids there and everything. Yeah. 
And are they still that welcoming and accepting or why don't you go there? I don't know. I feel like it's an older, stauncher you know, kind of crowd. Our, that, that very beloved pastor, Bruce, retired and it shifted a lot of things. And, um, you know, now we, you know, we realized, you know, Bruce probably wasn't a very good Presbyterian. <laughs> he, he's much more like open. <laughs> like, you know, I, le- I feel like I learned a lot from him. Um, and so they're a lot more rules based kind of now. And, um, and there, there were some troubling things that a, a lot of people left. And even talk about another, you know, God moment or serendipitous moment. I was struggling with the things that had, had gone on that I'd heard about going on. And I kept noticing that there was less and less people there. And a lot of staff members, you know, one by one were going, including Ryan and then um, Dawn, who's, who's part of Uncommon Good as well. They're the founders. And so I knew something was going on and I wasn't really getting, you know, why, what was happening. And then when I, you know, found out like kind of the whole backstory and was, sort of sitting there with my, you know, what the heck do I do with this? And so um, Kaylin, my oldest, had already gone to the Church of Ranch Bernardo. So a little bit on the other side of Ranch Bernardo, the old movie theater. And um, she said, you've got to, you know, you've got to come. And so I went once and then the next Sunday I said to Brian, you know, you should come. I think you'll like this guy. And, and so he came and we happened to be sitting, it's movie theater shape. So we happened to be sitting on the, on the, in the front row on the left, so it's a little bit of a U. And at one point we look over and on the exact opposite side, on the right side, three aisles over, I notice, I think that's Dawn. Oh wait, I think that's Ryan. Oh my, there they all are. And it was their first Sunday too. And so I looked over and I, you know, blew a kiss and then they blew a kiss and we all just like afterwards hugged and like, oh my gosh, this is, this isn't meant to be like, cause they weren't sure we weren't sure. And everybody, you know, showed up and like, okay, now we're, we're going to pursue this together. And that was, it was awesome. Excellent. Well, that was the perfect lead in too. So now talk about the nonprofit, please. So Uncommon Good uh, was born out of the idea that not everybody feels comfortable in a church setting, that it was never supposed to be about a building or a denomination that, you know, if you can't, if you're struggling to kind of learn about God, that that's not necessarily always the, um, the most welcoming place and that it has hurt people in the past or people have felt hurt, you know, by a church setting. And so not that we, you know, we all, you know, love our church, but at the same time, we want to create a community that people feel open and welcome to come to regardless that it's not necessarily affiliated with a specific church. So it is just about a uh, creating a space for people to explore God, faith, you know, questions of the world, have great conversations, usually over wine or beer, great topics, and kind of reclaim all the truths of the Bible and of Jesus. So instead of turning them and twisting them to fit a denomination. What is what did Jesus actually say or believe and what was his way that we should learn from? And that's what we try to practice what we preach. And whose idea was it to do a podcast? Well, so there's um, multi different avenues that we, you know, do reach out. So 
Um, on Common Good started with the idea that we are looking for a site. So we, you know, it, ironic, I say it's not about the building, but we eventually we will have a site that no, won't necessarily be about the building, but we want to do community gatherings there. Um, and that will be available for weddings or yoga or, you know, whatever, art classes, all that kind of stuff. Um, so in the meantime, while looking for a site, we do, I mean, pre-pandemic, we do events and they were usually typically be at a winery or a brewery or a park. Um, one time a bowling alley. And so we, are, of course, I plan a lot of, you know, get together. So, but we all, we all work together. So there's three founders. It's uh, Ryan, Dawn, and Cody. And Cody is, is sort of our tech guru. Okay, noisy dogs next door. And, and then, so the, so that's the other outlet is us serving the community. So we do a lot of, you know, food bank stuff, delivering meals to people, just reaching out anybody who thinks that are in need. We have other organizations, local organizations that reach out to us and say, Hey, you know, somebody needs this. Can you guys do that? And we do. Um, and then we have the podcast. So I, I'm sure that was, you know, all of everybody's idea except mine, just because it's, it's such a fun thing to listen, you know, get excited about other podcasts. And so you're like, Hey, we have, you know, we have things to talk about. So. Yeah. Well, I love it. And I wish that if you looked up the definition of Christian somewhere, that it would like point to that mission and that attitude and that approach that, that would yeah. make me very happy. That's how I feel about yeah. it. Like it's, you know, you know how we were always taught like, Oh, it's not a, it's not a religion. It's about your personal relationship. Well, it's about relationship and like, like exploring the word commune, communion, like commune, gather, you know, do this in remembrance of me, not eat the wafer, drink the wine, do this, gather together, share life experiences in remembrance of me. Like that is what it's about. So that's our sort of, you know, claiming, reclaiming what, you know, life experiences and how faith is supposed to be part of that, not a separate entity. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's, it's beautiful and it's right. And it's the way it should be. And it makes me have a little more peace in this crazy world, actually, just even hearing you talk about that. And I want you to know, and please tell Ryan and Dawn that I had already listened to podcasts before the one that you were on, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I basically only listened to that one because you were on it. And I thought, all mm-hmm. right, well, I'll listen to it. I thought, well, okay, you know what the heck? I'll just listen to it. No big deal. But it planted a seed in my head that you don't have to have famous guests to have a good podcast. Right. Now you're famous to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I think, well, this is funny because we do it. We typically do it in uh, the Ryan's treehouse in the backyard. And, um, and so we're all squished together on little kids stools and it's really fun. And I think, you know, podcasting is weird. It's like, oh, let's just sit around and talk and presume that somebody wants to listen to us, you know, but it's, (laughs) there's usually great conversations. Totally agreed. Well, it's, um, it's about time to wind down. So, so uh, anything else that you want to say that is like a closer, no pressure or anything, but just, I don't want to feel like you didn't get a chance to tell all your stories. No, I thought, you know, what's so funny is I know you and I could talk and talk and talk and, um, and I love that because there's, there's just so much there, um, depth, but someday we need a sleepover, Mm -hmm. right? We do. 
but I, you know, going into this today, I thought ah, I need to, again, make time. I should have put it on the car and listen. So it took, you know, thinking I needed to prep myself. And then of course I was, you know, working and trying to get that email out. And I thought, Oh, I'm just going to have to go, you know, go with the flow. But I think we covered the flow. So I think we're good. Yes. It's very go with the flowy because your meaningful things to you, how can I dictate that? You just got to tell yeah. me them, you know? Yeah. But um, if you haven't listened to Merrill's, he talks about the 10 year reunion. And then, oh. and then, of course, you'll love Joanne Longanilla's one if you haven't heard hers. Oh, I have. I have I'm anxious to listen to both of those because, my gosh, both of them are gems, but it isn't Joe. She just has such a, I don't know, otherworldly sort of light about her that I just want to soak it all in. Agreed. And I, yeah. I try to tell people, I'm sorry. I really feel like I'm cheating all the listeners because if you can't see Joanne Longanella's smile, you're missing out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> well, Pam, thank you for your time and thank you for all you do for our group and all you do for me personally this like 35 whatever years of us being friends and interwoven in each other's lives. And I'm actually kind of glad you talked about some times that we weren't in communication, like when you were starting out at SDSU. Yeah. I was up at Long Beach and we didn't have the ability to really, you know, no, no, but, but the universe brought us back together many, 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 many times. (laughs) (laughs) as it's supposed to be yes all right well kiss that puppy of yours and that hubby of yours okay will do all right bye love you love you too Bye. bye well revelers isn't your heart happier and lighter after listening to pam i know mine is she is good for me She's awesome for our class. She's the glue of our class. And um, I'm just so glad that her episode came along when it did. I I would have really needed to see her get through this RBG and everything going on time in late September. So I have another little story about Pam and about my, maybe not my favorite, but my definite go-to. I spend more time listening to the Dax Shepherd Armchair Expert podcast than any other. Semi-addicted. And um, at the same time that Pam and I were talking about how we didn't have many books in this podcast, I found out about a Denver Lutheran pastor that Pam really likes and she was on Dax's show. So I don't know how to say her name. I'll probably butcher it. But Nadia Bulls Weber was a guest on Armchair Expert. And I am going to have a link to that in the show notes. It's a lot of what Pam and I were talking about, about how the church should be, uh, how Christians should be. And she's just a fascinating character that I am going to start to read her books. So always check out the show notes. And remember, the show notes are seen best two places, my website and CastBox. And then there are sort of descending orders for the rest. There's many, 
many show notes that you can click on, but not see the pictures on most apps. And then on the Apple podcast, for some reason, you can't even click on the links, which sucks. But I work really hard at providing you all this information so you don't have to listen and jot something down or try to remember. So if you hear something that you want more information on, go either to the website or to CastBox because that stuff is there to edify your life. Good news, the Tris, Tristan Higgins that we talk about in this episode will be a guest in October. So that's more fun to look forward to. And the next episode on Revel Revel next week will be Phil Factor. Have a good week, everybody. Mm-hmm.